Hello, I'm Tim McLaughlin, and this is a Maywa podcast. In this episode, we present the lecture European Blue, Wode and Blue de Lecture. The lecture was presented by Denise Lambert as part of the 2009 Maywa Textile Symposium. At points during the question and answer session, Denise will be joined by her husband, Henri. It was Henri Lambert who guided the two-day Wode workshop during the couple's visit to Canada. Henri died unexpectedly on the 22nd of February of this year. The natural dye community suffered a great loss with his passing, and we would like to dedicate this podcast to his memory. For many of us, there's no greater magic than the magic of color. Like the crow, beguiled by a love of bright, shiny objects, we are all held captive by a power beyond light and darkness, an elusive mercurial sensation which changes with the light of day, the light of the season, and even the peculiar signature light of a country. That power is color, is the flavor of the visual world. The effect of color is intense, so intense that certain people can be made physically ill by a particular color combination. Equally, a color can be so beautiful that it makes people abandon reason, abandon careers, abandon sleep, and the quiet (laughs) pleasures of daily life as they pursue it. For, and this is especially true with natural dyes, color is a genie that can take many forms. At times, it is a fruit that can easily spoil. At times, it is a seed that, if not cared for, will disappear forever. At times, it is a powder that will hold its potential for thousands of years. And finally, at times, it is a liquor, an elixir, a vat, a sensational liquid that that generously offers to share its hue with others. Perhaps you will say, I'm being romantic. Well, yes. (laughs) The term is perfect. So tonight, let me present to you a French romance. The story will not be told by me, but rather by Denise Lambert, of the couple Denise and Henri Lambert, a couple who have been possessed by such an amorous devotion to one type of blue that they have given up their lives to its magic, and it has turned out to be very powerful magic indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming Denise Lambert. I'm very pleased to be here. I'm very nervous. It's the first time because generally I'm very relaxed in talking about this fabulous color. But I know I have a lot to thank to Mewa, to Charlotte, to the whole team in bringing us here because we were so into our work that we had no idea that we could fit into something like this. But as Tim says, color is part of our lives. And this particular blue became such of a passion that I hope during this lecture I will explain this passion to you. To start off, I will explain the history of Wode. In English, it's called Wode, W-O-A-D. In French, pastel, in the Occitanian name. Since we come from Toulouse, sometimes I will switch from Wode, which is a bit hard, to pastel, which is a lot softer in the French language. So excuse me if I switch off to pastel. But I will explain how we came into it as we go on to the lecture. Now, Wode is an ancient, ancient European plant. It came in from the Middle East and was brought in even before the Neolithic period. And we have datations from certain textiles in Egypt, in certain taverns, or caverns, not taverns, caverns. (laughs) 
That comes later on. Caverns in the French part of the south part of France, as well as in Scandinavian. So we have datation from further on to 800 BC in Norway, in Finland, to, of course, the French part that came out during Charlemagne. Now, woad is an extraordinary simple plant. A lot of people who come to visit our workshop say, is this woad? They expect beautiful blue flowers, beautiful leaves, beautiful fantastic plants. It's an extremely ugly plant. It comes from the broccoli family, it's a crucifera family, and these are the various names you have in Europe that explain the same type of plant. It was grown in Finland all the way down to the Soros Islands and from Russia to the British Islands. So every European country had their proper name for the plant. And as you see, it flowers the second year. The, the rosette or this part produces the color. No one would have ever imagined that these green leaves that look like weeds produce some of those beautiful blues I have ever and my husband has ever encountered. But that's the way things are, how nature is. The second year, it flowers yellow. These are the shutters of our workshop in Lake Tour on a nice sunny day. And it's during the flowering will produce certain seeds that will be able to or used in the cosmetic products, but I will explain that later on. So we will start with a bit of history. Now, woad started off as a barbaric color. It was used on most of the barbaric tribes north of the Italian uh, countries, and the Celts, the Gaulois, the British, and the Norwegian used to use it to dye their feet, their hands, put tattoo war on to scare the Romans away. Now we have films like Braveheart or King Arthur that reconstructed this type of designs on their skin. But it brought onto the French language an expression called being scared to death blue, avoir une peur bleue, that comes with that. Because you have to imagine these very military soldiers marching through France and all of a sudden encountering all these little warriors dyed in blue. So you can imagine that they were scared when they saw that. So, so many things will be linked to this color. And as it brought on from a barbaric color to a Catholic color, it was put on the Virgin Mary's dress and that gave or began to give it its nobility. Because afterwards, from the Bon Roi Louis, which was one of the first king's dynasty, the Capetian in France, it became a royal color. That's why we will mostly talk about woad in France. Even though European countries have the color that's linked to it by several expressions, woad will be a totally French pastel color. Now, it was a specific color that, oh, I went on too fast, that during the Renaissance period gave its wealth to the city of Toulouse. For people who know a bit about the geography in France, you have up Paris, south Toulouse, which is next to the Spanish border. And Toulouse provided the most beautiful blues for the kings of France under you will see different varieties. You had people who actually worked their entire life for woad traders and woad farmers in those days. You had people that used to weigh the bags, the weeders. You had people who used to work the land. It was considered a much larger income in that area of Toulouse than one can easily imagine. You had mills because you took the woad leaves to the woad mill to crush them up because the whole process of producing this color for the kings of France took eight to ten months. It was a long process. You had to have the leaves that were harvested during the summer. They had to be crushed under different woad mills around Toulouse, which was the World Trade Center, and it was crushed into a pulp that was molded, or the pulp was left to ferment for months. 
After that, they molded by hand large balls that were called cocagne, or coke in French, not cocaine, okay? <laughs> Most of my French personnel who has to speak or give English visits, I try to say, don't say cocaine, to say cocagne, which is a woad patty or woad ball. These woad balls were generally put in baskets and to be dried and hauled up on wooden masts to protect them and dry in the sunshine and reduce from the size of a small melon to the size of a golf ball, golf ball and for additional months. So in this period, you had a lot of wealth that brought the world traders to become immensely rich by speculating on a color they will never, never see because not even the divats are blue. So it was like being very wealthy on stock brokers and going down very quickly, but the entire southwest Gascony of France was so rich that they were ten times more richer than those or that of the kings of France. Now, afterwards, the woe divats. These woe divats came up and took a long process. They were actually put outside of the city because they stank very badly. You had to rehumidify the woad balls, you had to mix them with water, and you added on men's urine. Men's urine was used as a reducing agent, and it was kept in that vat to keep it alive. In those days, you considered your vat as an animal. You fed it, you let it rest, and my, let's say, woad fan club remembers how we explicitly tried to explain to them that you have to take time, and you have to pamper your divat, and that's what they did in those days. And actually, they had to have such a high level of acidity in the men's urine that they created the job of pisser, or pisseur in French, which you can imagine why in Toulouse they had a lot of taverns, of course. <laughs> well, that's where I came from. And a lot of buckets, which were filled up during the end of the day. And to maintain that, the job of peer was next to the job in the Middle Ages and Renaissance period. It was a lot easier to be a peer than to die three seconds in a battlefield, you can imagine. But go through this whole process <laughs> means you have a stinky vat that you keep about eight to nine months. You feed it, you nourish it, and not one drop of blue. You have to imagine all this because in the Renaissance, it was quite particular. And this richness came from an expression that is in the Occitania up top, which means the more you sleep, the more wealthy you become because a lot of these world traders just relaxed and enjoyed all the money coming in, which made the reputation of Toulouse, Carcassonne, and Albi of being the blue triangle or the Pays de Cocagne, which means a region of milk and honey, where, of course, that's where your fortune came from. And this Renaissance architecture was highly developed in the city of Toulouse. You have a lot of these mansions that had high towers, and all this, or all these woad traders used to call each other on top of their woad towers and to be higher than the local population. So these buildings are very, very wealthy in the city of Toulouse and brought a lot of arts in the city as well. Now... When you had, before we go off to the Napoleon period, this royal color was controlled by most of the kings of France all the way up to the Revolution. They had patents, and the woe dyers were only habilitated to do blues, like you had the Malaroots for the cardinals of France and Albi. Colbert, which was a very famous French minister, controlled 13 royal shades, from the pale blues, which were called the birth blues, les bleus naissants, to the kings, the queen, the mourants, the perse, all the way up to the blue d'enfer, the hell's blue. And if you think about it, it's the birth and death of mankind. La naissance et la mort, which was very spiritual because blue is a spiritual color. The only problem, of course, was crops, bad crops, importation of indigo, and the power of the money brought around the world trade was such that the world traders obliged the kings to forbid 
indigo, and if a dye was caught using indigo, he had his head chopped off. And you can imagine. And they obliged the Catholic Church to excommunicate indigo to avoid people using it. But as we all know, the French Revolution comes around, and that's exit the royalty. And woad. Why? Because we talk of blue blood. Now, if there... I don't know if there's any German-speaking people here, but in Germany, you have an expression is called et être blau, you are blue, which nowadays, a lot of German people don't know where it comes from, but that means if you have a very, let's say, exciting weekend, you get drunk the entire weekend, when you go to your office on Monday morning, you are blue. And believe me, that in Germany, I can presume it's very strong. But that comes from the dyers, uh, middle uh, Renaissance period German dyers that used to pay their workers Friday nights to go to all the beer festivals around the dyers' vat and to drink. And Monday morning, everyone was lined up to urinate in the dye vat. So all these expressions are linked. Sacre bleu, pisse bleu, blue blood, etc. So it's very funny how something can just start off from a color. Now, due to the fact that indigo took over during the French Revolution, became the popular blue, which brought on the Denim weave from the city of Nîmes, Napoleon was the first person to bring back woad for two or several political reasons. First of all, he tried to block Great Britain from importing his or their indigos, which prevented himself from bringing in his indigos. Everyone knows that Napoleon's military uniforms were dyed with indigo, and it so happened that he needed blues. So woad came back thanks to several perfect French or intelligent French chemist that forgot or tried to go around the long process of the woad balls and try to work down by precipitating the pigment in less than one week's time. Chaptal was one of them, and they started to work with pigment blocks, with woad blocks, which also improved the dyeing techniques to certain more modern dyeing techniques that improved Napoleon's possibility of using this world. The only problem is that Napoleon decided to use it on the second part of his military campaigns, that of the disastrous campaign of Russia. I think that's one of the reasons why the French forgot about that, because I have to remind them that they did use it, but it wasn't so glorious. So when Napoleon dies, unfortunately, um, you will have most of the end of woe. Now, the British held on to woad later on to 1915. These are pictures that are very rare because it shows what the woad mills in England were at that period, which we can easily imagine how they were also in the medieval period. These are woad mills, which were a lot more lighter than the stone ones used in the south of France. But imagine this or these people costume or in the Middle, Middle Ages and the Renaissance. It's the same method of rolling the balls, drying them up, and using them. And these are extraordinary pictures, believe me. Now, of course, world will decline when the chemical indigos will come in through the Austrian researcher Adolf von Bayer, which will sell his patent to the German company BASFS, BASF, sorry. But that will bring the decline of world. Now, you can manufacture a numerous amount of synthetic colors and synthetic blues, but woad was never reproduced. It's a subtle color or mixture of several blends that you cannot chemically-wise reproduce it. That's why we are so passionate about woad, and that's why we fell into it. Now, this is a building my husband and I brought in 1994, and which was a perfect ruin. This part on the side was a chapel. This part here was a chapel to the Pilgrims of Santiago. It was part of the Pilgrims Road. There was a bridge, and it led in the leopard pilgrims, the sick pilgrims, which were not allowed in the city of Lectur, which is a fortified city. 
we had, or we still have, four shutters that date back to the 15th century. That part is the oldest. The other part is the 17th century. So we have what we call an ancient building. And because we brought this house, we did, have, we did not have any idea of what world was. We were just completely ignorant. We saw these four gray shutters, gray-blue shutters, and we decided to figure out why the color was still on the wood. We followed up the story to Toulouse. We saw the beautiful mansions. We saw the beautiful historical books, but nothing on the color. So what happened? We just fell into the dye vat and became woters, as we can call it, or pastels. And it just became a passion, and such a passion that it took us around four years to go through the secrets of discovering how it was done, improving the technique, and working so we can reintroduce it into a modern environmental area that will go and go, well, that will go further on requesting modern colors. Now, we go beyond textile dyeing, which we will see is quite fascinating because this color is a fascinating plant. This is the first harvest. We started off with seeds that we brought from a plant museum near Paris, 450 grams that were pretty costly, but they were at least authentic seeds. And we had a half of an hectare. We started off with a hand cut. We started working on the research. And as we progressed, we adapted these techniques to a larger vats and to a more industrial vats, which you will see does not change the quality of the color. We just apply modern machinery. Now, the research we started off with the University of Toulouse Biochemistry Department allowed us to understand how the plant plant functions. It requires 15 days minimum sunshine to produce the blue. No sun, no blue. I hate to tell it, we still have the best blues in southwest Gascony, France. <laughs> so I'm afraid even if you have a lot of people grow well, mm, we still have the best. <laughs> we can harvest four to five, let's say five to six times per year, the leaves. We work on first year plants only. As it flowers the second year, of course, you have, sorry, you have no leaves. So the flowers will provide us the seeds. The seeds, you will understand later on what we use them for. So when we harvest the leaves for the color, it has to be only the first year. Second of all, you cannot damage the leaves. Contrary to little vats that you can do yourselves, woad has to be cut by its stem. You cannot chop it up. As you break a woad leaf, if you don't treat it immediately, you lose progressively its pigment inside of it. So we have now developed harvesting machines that can harvest between, let's say, 24 to 34 tons per day. We have around 25 to 30 hectares of crops that are run by a farming cooperative because we cannot do it ourselves, and we now have machines that can harvest. These machines used to be used to cut spinach leaves, so they provide us with a large type of good quality machine to harvest large quantities. Once they are cut, they are put into warm water, and the fermentation will start off immediately. The whole art is trying to control this fermentation, because what will happen is that at one precise moment, it's very magic that moment, the leaves will let the pigment loose in the water, and that is a moment you have to catch. That's why when you become, as my husband, a perfect magician, he is called the woad master. We tease him about that, of course. But he is le maître pastelier, which he will actually, he has shared his knowledge to introduce this new type of job to woad engineers. Now, the magic will start here. Once you catch this pigment, you have to be very quick to oxidize it because you catch what we call a white indigo that once it turns blue will become solid. But that moment has to go very quick. So so we have different systems of oxidizing the pigment, and once the pigment is blue, it deposits on the bottom. The fascinating thing about it is that 
you have to catch this pigment at, as I said, one instant. If the weather is stormy, if you're tired, if anything can happen because you're just something's wrong with it, you lose instantaneously the pigment inside of your vat. And when you have to harvest 42 tons of leaves for only two kilos of powdered pigment, you better know what you're doing because it's a lot of, uh, it's hard when you lose your vats, believe me. Once you have the pigment on the bottom as a blue paste, you filter it, then you let it dry, and you have a pure woad pigment. I cannot show you this because you only have pictures, but it's, it, it's quite like alchemia. When you start with a green leaf, you go through all this process, and you end up with a very strong, hard mineral pigment. That is alchemia from a plant pigment. You obtain almost a mineral pigment, and that is the magic about woad because it's so extraordinary, and it gets on to you. We are really, I think, addicted to this color. So believe me, you will become addicted at the end of the lecture. Now, dyeing with woad, as far as we, but you might say, of course, we're going to always say this, is one of the most difficult dyes to work with. Compared to indigo, indigo is a lot more simple with woad. Woad has something around it that is going to make your life difficult, and you're going to have to really like it to get to the most beautiful blues. We will work, as many of you know, as a reducing vat, because it's a lot easier to work with when you work in large quantities. Those who've attended our workshop have understood that. My fan club is somewhere around there. Anyone that's wearing blue is my fan club. And they assisted the workshop, and they took... A long time to understand how their process from working with the leaves and us from working with the pigment can be complementary, but as you go on to a larger scale, you have to work directly with the pigment and on a reducing the vat, which is a lot easier to work with. So the vats are extremely, for those who don't know, woad is yellow. Now, I teased Tim a while ago saying that it's, you know, the colors here are not quite what it shows on the computer, but I hate to say it, you cannot reproduce natural colors on computers. So you might as well, please forgive me if it's a bit yellow, a bit green, but it's a lot more bluer than that, you can imagine. But this magic we'll see will be in your dye vat. When you dip in, as they did in the 15th century, a royal color in a very stinky yellow vat, because as those who attended the workshop, it's a stinky vat, believe me. <laughs> so there's no flies around <laughs> because it's a stinky vat. But the magic is that it, the fabric will come out yellow and turn from yellow to green to green to blue. Imagine that in a Renaissance workshop. Imagine that the little old lady in the countryside that would heal with plants was quickly burnt, but not the dyer who did that magic in the Renaissance period. Why? Because he was protected by the Catholic Church. He did the dress of the Virgin Mary. He was never put in the Bastille, even though that was a bit alchemia, because he did the color of the kings of France. So there's always something that it was a level that you should go over slightly, but not too much. That is why it's a bit like that nowadays, even though we will not be burnt. I thank heavens for that. And all the kids who come and visit us call us nice witches, <laughs> which, you know, for Halloween is very good, but anyway. Now, the different shading obtained in the dye vats will depend mainly on three points. You have, of course, the strength of your mother vat. Those who've attended, again, our workshop understand what a mother vat is. Like all the mothers in the entire world, it's a very important vat, which you use to build up your dye vat. But depending on how much pigment is put in the mother vat, you will control the shades. But that's not sufficient. You have to have a perfect knowledge of your fabric, where it came from, what was put onto it, what, how it was treated, how it was porous, 
you have to have the quality. Different fibers have or absorb differently the pigment. And you have to have the quantity of baths to darken it. It's not the length of time it can remain in your vat that strengthens the color. It's repetition of dipping it in, taking it out, dipping it in, taking it out. Then you can have the most beautiful blackest blues I have ever seen. And the rest is knowledge. You have to learn Keep learning, keep learning, and keep learning. And be humble. If something goes wrong with your fabric, it's not the dye vat. It's you. And that's sometimes difficult for people to understand. Now, we have adjusted to modern industry a larger wide span of the possibilities of dyeing. Hand dyeing, you can, you're limited because you're limited to the quantity of sizes of fabric. Now we have arranged, or we've worked with, for the past three years, with a thread dyer who has allowed us to adjust in thread dyeing machines a natural, entire, organic dye vat. We just use the machine. So we can dye the thread, which will bring on a numerous amount of possibilities in weaving. Now these uh, bobines, as we say in French, go down into the dye vat, will soak in the dye vat, and it will come out blue or turn from yellow to green to green to blue and you have a perfectly even perfect uh, reel of different fibers wool, silk, linen, whatever and on the long run you have beautiful shades of cotton, wool even sometimes leather and that is fantastic because that will allow us to work with the haute couture. We have worked with Lapidus. We have worked with Selma McCartney. We've worked with some of the most important haute couturiers in Paris because when you can weave up fabric, you can go into a numerous amount of possibilities by mixing different fibers, by creating new fabrics. It's just, it's just nonstop. You can go on for everything. We do uh, tablecloths. We do kitchenware. We do a lot of things. And this is the newest treatment we do now is to dye the wool starting from the fleece. And that has never been done before, and that allows us to discover different possibilities of mixing wool and manufacturing all sorts of sweaters or any type of other uh, designs. This is the carding. These machines are fascinating. They're big. They're twice the size of this room here. And when you go into... Dying with these machines with a natural dye is so exciting because you can see how the knowledge of an ancient color comes to modern or comes to the future, which you guys will probably be using or wearing in the next couple of years. This is the carding process. It brings down the levels of wool and allows you to weave up later on by machines all the spins you see here, which will provide, of course, the sweaters and the different uh, material that we can provide for the haute couture. This is unique. The same thread dyer took around three to four years to work with all the other natural colors, which is important because you cannot only have blues, of course. But this allows us to put on the market different possibilities of threads, of fabrics, of applications with woad, and it only stops with your imagination. This is, of course, the famous dentelle that we work with for haute couture, and you have the art products. Now, we taught also the fact that you have a possibility to work with woad in art. You have what is called the flower of woad, which is very lovely, which was the, the mousse or the, the foam on top of these dye vats that was used during the 15th century to replace lapis lazuli, which cost quite a lot. And the dyers used to sell them to some artists who weren't sponsored by the kings or the kings or the Catholic Church of France or Italy. So this produced, through an Italian technique, a mixture of flower of woad with chalk, honey, and 
a bit of Arabic gum to produce the pastel sticks, which was developed during the 17th century. That's why it took the name of pastel and not any other name. And you have now this painting that is in the Louvre that is or uses woad. The color is a bit difficult here, but it was one of the paintings that was recognized by a student who worked with us to develop the, the, uh, the color or the shading that was taken from the flower of woad. Here we go. Now, of course, beautiful. Now, it's our geese, but don't worry. We don't run after them to take off their, their feathers, you know. You can actually use it in outdoor decorative paints because wood has an additional advantage. It contains a natural insect repellent, treatment against wood, and against fungus. All the residue of the dye vats were put on cattle horns, horse carts, and doors of shutters. It was called in France the horse cart blue because it actually scares the insects. It's not the color, but the property of the pigment. This allows a numerous amount of applications in decoration, in uh, environments, etc. And my husband's jaguar. <laughs> <laughs> this is the only car in the world that has been repainted with a natural plant pigment. Uh, we had, pig, you know, plant pigment. Well, that's better than organic, or my husband used to say vegetable color. But it's unique, and uh, the paint was manufactured in Germany, and it's our pride and joy. And people come around and have you know, a picture taken in front of it, and it goes worldwide, and everyone loves that. But one of these qualities of Jaguar is that it's the quickest car to go to the garage. So it's difficult to drive, unfortunately, sometimes. Now, woad oil. Woad oil is an extraordinary oil because it is one of the richest oil and essential fatty acids, omega-3, omega-6, omega-9. We have worked with scientists to develop this woad oil because you will see it in most of our products here. It is a natural antibiotic, antibacterial, anti-inflammatory. It's extraordinary what this woad oil can do. The products we sell here are manufactured by a company that we work with and has developed an excellent quality of products using these woad oil and our pigment. It's a neuter pH, it goes for any type of skins, and it's an excellent product that I suggest. I use it, of course. You can see how beautiful I am. Now, <laughs> place applaud. And it's an excellent color. Now, we do a lot of other events, artistic events. This is a, a large dye uh, exhibition that we did in Switzerland. We dyed a large fabric that came out of a large dye vat, believe me. Quite spectacular, of course. This is a Renaissance fair in Prionvolet, which is the beginning of the, uh, the Camino Road, the Santiago Road. Um, I am the woad dyer there. <laughs> and we also had the honor of making the dress of the uh, Black Virgin Mary in the uh, Prionvolet Chapel, which is an honor because the, Mary, or the Virgin Mary's color came back to the statue, and we were very pleased to do that. And that was unique as well. We have Napoleon's uniforms that we also dye for historical events, as well as this very lovely wedding dress in different fibers, of course, and different blues. But the magnificent thing about woe, this is our geese, which my uh, cousin knows because they used to run after her in the garden and pinch her. But the magnificent thing about woad is that it's an extraordinary plant. It's ugly. It stinks. It causes a lot of problems. You must love it. It's passionate. It gives you a numerous amount of blues that are just living. In France, you call it ennoblissement and not a simple dye. It renders noble your fabric, which means you have to have an excellent quality of fabric because it will only enhance the beautiful part of it, good or bad. When it's bad, it's bad. When it's beautiful, it's beautiful. And you have moments of grace when you take out a cloth and it's just superb. 
And those will compensate the problems we've had with all the other problems that it can bring on to you later or previously before. But it's something that will grow to you, will make you beautiful. The most magnificent comment was from a little gentleman who brought a scarf for his wife and came back saying, it's just wonderful. She is just radiant with your blue. And that's what this color gives you. So thank you very much for listening to me. I hope I've transmitted the passion. And if you have any questions, don't hesitate in asking me. Thank you very much. Any questions? What's been one of the biggest challenges? It's, nothing is a challenge because it's a passion. When we sit down and we have people say, oh, you should have written a book or this and that, we sit down and say, yes, we did so much in so many years, and there's so much to be done. We have never thought of just lifting up our heads and saying, oh, look, what is it going to be another challenge? It's just everything falls into a puzzle, and each piece falls into a piece. Each person comes to us and says, I wanted to work with you. It's so fascinating how this color is because it brings in people that you would have never met elsewhere. So it comes out as a passion. There's no, each day is a challenge with world, let's put it that way, because it's so complicated. But it's just doesn't present a challenge to us. Oh, he is the most technical part, and thank heavens he didn't talk to you because you would have never understood anything. <laughs> Even though he's, he's very good to a scientific crowd, but, you know, he knows his limits. But it's... <laughs> that's why we tease him, we call him the world master. So he, yes. How did you and your husband get interested in mode? Just simply buy four shutters from the house we brought. That's really astonishing, isn't it? And when we think about it, we say, oh, we did this with just only four shutters. No, we didn't know Wode like any other tourist who comes and visits our workshop. We didn't know anything about Wode. And we just saw this blue, tried to figure out what it was, and just became a passion to try to do it. And you can understand why, since 350 years, no one in France had decided to do it, because it's such a difficult pigment. And it's just like that. Simple, but difficult. I'm assuming that you're no longer using pissers. No. <laughs> Mind you, I have a lot of volunteers, believe me. When I have all the visitors who want to just jump into the dive vat and urinate, I have to stop them. But no, we no longer use it. You guys don't drink as you did in the Middle Ages in the Renaissance, and thank heavens for your stomach and your uh, liver, of course. I remember, as I mentioned, uh, urine is a reducing agent. So it's either sodium hydrosulfite or, as you use here, theorea, because it helps to reduce the fat, which is a lot easier. You can use glucose. You can use any type of sugar as well, but then the fat takes longer. When you hand-dye by yourself in your workshop, and you have days to work around with it, yes, you can do it. But as we work or we dye professionally in our workshop, as with, with the industries, we have to go quicker. So we use sodium hydrosulfite, which is a lot quicker than just uh, fruits or any type of other uh, organic, let's say, reducing agent. Very little, mind you, very little. Yes? What is the pH of the vat? Between 8 and 9. But as we had surprises in our workshop, you have to uh, test your water. Here the water is very acid. In France it's very neuter, so we had to adjust that. So always test your dye vats. The blue dress that you showed earlier, is that traditional? Can you tell us about it? Um, it's not a traditional dress. It was just someone who wanted us to work for that. Um, the difference in shading comes from the fiber itself. If you dye silk, if you dye wool, if you dye uh, leather, the blues will be very different, um, which is very important to coordinate everything in your dye vat. But that's just an order that someone did and that we were requested to dye, of course. How well did the students in the workshop fare in getting a blue color? 
Well, you can ask them, but I think they really enjoyed it. They didn't want to go and end the workshop. They were dying to the last minute. And we had a lot of difficulty in trying to uh, make them understand that you have to go slow with woad. You have to let your fat rest a bit. And they were very excited by doing it, and they did very well. Everything came out blue, even their hands. Uh, I mean, some of them just discarded the gloves, and they came out blue as well. And I, from what I gather, they enjoyed their two-day workshop because they did a lot of dyeing, and that was very important for them to work with their vats to understand it. Afterwards, it's error and correction of error that makes you acquire the knowledge. It's very important to be humble because, as I mentioned before, anything can change your vat. It can be the bad weather. It can be your fabric. It can be the pigment. It can be the pH. Anything can change your vat, which means you have to question yourself a lot of time. It's not an acquired knowledge like that. It's a very complicated knowledge to keep and to maintain. Yes. <laughs> Can you tell us about some of the other items colored with woad? I know Henri's eyeglasses are one. Oui, tu, tu montes. We have tested a lot of applications. Effectively, his eyeglass frames are made from acetate de cellulose, right? Or yes, it's not from the petrol. It's not plastic from the petrol. It's... it's it's not plastic from uh, the petrol uh, industry. Uh, uh, this kind of uh, uh, frame, frame. frames are made uh, in acetate de cellulose and self in uh, cotton acetate. So it's, uh, we can dye it. It's natural at the, the first step. We can, or we've done essays or tests to work on airplane cabin paint. We work with companies who do biodegradable plastic from corn. So it's normal that you have to put in a biodegradable color, but no one has thought about that. That's a funny thing. And uh, you can work with practically anything. You're just trying to adjust the pigment to the industry to formulate natural ingredients because it's nice to have a natural pigment, but you have plants that do not like each other. So you have to work with the university as we do with so they can combine and produce uh, excellent products that are based from organic uh, sources and that are totally natural and that will be part of our lives in the next possible years, which is very good, I think. So we go into a lot of research in different areas, as I said, from airplane, car industry, uh, inkjet printerings, uh, inject, uh, printing inks from uh, medicinal properties because the woad leaf is an extraordinary uh, plant. There's research doing it in Italy for its anti-cancerous properties. It's the leaf itself that is pro very promising, actually, and it's something that the whole industry, whether it's med medical industry, cosmetic, or research industry, uh, are working very much into it because it's an easy plant to grow. You don't have to tend to it very much. It doesn't impoverish the soil. It's such an easy plant to work with, so I think it's going to be part of the next future crops that are be used for industrial crops. Yes? Is woad toxic to animals? No. No, it was used uh, during the Middle Renaissance period when they lacked uh, grass. They used it for the, uh, for the cows. There was no blue milk. Okay. <laughs> A lot of people ask me that, but there's no blue milk. Prior to the purchase of your blue-shuttered home, what was your background? Were you a weaver? Were you a chemist? No. My husband has an artistic background, so we, were, we had our eyes that were tuned to color. I'm just a normal, let's say, you know, wife. <laughs> but... As we enjoyed teasing, teasing the, uh, the University of Toulouse biochemistry department, it's best not to be a scientist when you work with plants. 
because there's so much down-to-earth knowledge. Now, the problem that was many times, I'm only talking in Europe because Europe is where we have or we live. Most of the scientists never went down to see what people did uh, around them, artmen, craftsmen, and their knowledge. Everyone was up there. Those were down there. And in all the plant symposiums we used to go to, there was one French researcher, a scientist, that was always there, and he was so, you know, all by himself, and he worked with the anti-cancerous part of the plant. And we tease our scientists because they're like this. They go from A to E or to C, and we're like this, you know, and we work on it every night, and we, it's passionate. And, but the both they both need us. It's so many incidents that... I was explain this situation like we did. They did research on hair dye. The Romans used to dye their hair in the woad vats, give it a nice darkish, bluish black shade. They had to do research on that, so they went to all the little girls. Well, not little girls. All the girls working in the laboratory and cut off their hair and just dip it in the dye vat. And they said, "Oh, it didn't work." Now, my Ahi, being very intelligent, says, "Okay, I'm going to go check this out with the hairdresser, who is someone who should know about hairs, of course, who turned around and explained this. Well, you know, the scientists must be a bit crazy because, of course, we ladies dye our hair, we treat our hairs, we have all sort of products on it, and no one has a perfect baby hair by the time they get to around to 25, 30, even earlier. And what you do in the hair industry is that you take off the color and then you dye. So they did, we did the same thing. We had samples of hair, we dyed." It and turned out beautiful. And they answered back in the laboratory, mm, we didn't think about that. So you see how we work in collaboration is very important, not to be scientifically narrow-minded, but having a knowledge that you acquire over the centuries, not centuries, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, over the years. It, when, you have, when we have people visiting our workshop, we listen to the visits because we have personnel that's trained, and we always have questions. Is Monsieur Lambert still alive? You know, I mean, he's still living. <laughs> Everyone thinks it's a very old pigment. <laughs> Madame. Have you developed a vocabulary for the different shades of blue? Um, we have kept the 13th century or 15th century names. Um, as some of our art products, we have kept the names that were Fleur de Guet, Fleur de Guet, Alazado, Turquin, etc. We have tried to keep the authentic names in the different shading. But in those days, the Colbert had regulated the shadings on wool only. So when you work with all different fibers like bamboo, uh, eucalyptus, or cotton, of course we can adjust these shades, but it will not be the equivalent to what it was authentically done. But we try to keep them in the same level. But, you know, you have so many possibilities now of blues that range because you have different possibilities of fibers that we cannot keep the same names every time, unfortunately, because there are beautiful names. The Hell's Blues, the King's Blue, the Queen's Blue, the Death Blues. You have so many beautiful names in French, which in English is a bit hard, but you have the Bleu Perse, le Bleu Mourant, le Bleu Roi. It's very different when you say it in French. Could you tell us a little bit about what it was like to find that book, the one written by Napoleon's dye chemist? Right. Um, we had the... The chance. I think there must have been somebody upstairs that wanted us to go on to Wode because there were moments of very low despair because it was very hard. But we were fell onto a book during a book auction um, dating back from one of Napoleon's chemists that gave us a basic idea how it was done in those days. But the preface of this book was written by Napoleon's chemist who stated in his, that he did not like to put his recipes, and he was ordered by Napoleon, and he didn't really like to be ordered to put all his secrets in a book. So he didn't put everything, believe me, it would have been too easy. But that allowed us to help us go through that. Henri being 
very intelligent, <laughs> was able to work every night. Oui, mais si tu peux t'asseoir si tu veux. But we did have a lot of arguments about the casseroles that were turning blue and the stuff in the oven that was turning blue all the time. But I must give him credit. He worked a long time to go through and try these recipes and try to improve them with a bit of basic down-to-earth knowledge to allow us to get onto it and to discover the secrets just by error and correction of error. That was it. Wood is considered to be invasive. What's that problem about? Mainly because if you don't control the flowering, one little seed can go over and just drop in a plant. It flowers a lot of seeds, so it has to be controlled because you have a very long root that goes down to the earth, and it can survive in very harsh climates. So I know in the United States it's forbidden because there's certain uh, areas like Iowa, I think Utah as well, has, cannot control that. And we've been working with the Utah University because they're trying to develop a rust to avoid the flowering to be able to control it, and we're trying to put it in in Europe. You can see how things are a bit bad sometimes. But uh, it's considered as a weed even in Australia, and it's very severely controlled. But if you control your crops like we do, even by a farming cooperative, you will not let the second-year plants go up. You will just work with the color and control only what you need as far as the oil is concerned. And then you eliminate the plant, and then we start sowing in the fall. Can you eat the seeds? No, no. It's, uh, some people have tried to die with the seeds. We haven't really controlled the dying with the seeds yet, but you cannot eat the seeds. It's not very interesting. No. Are the chemicals and processes used for dyeing similar to dyeing with indigo? Yes. It's the same. Actually, it's the same molecule, as they say in French. If you call indigo, can group a lot of uh, Japanese, polygonum, woad, and everything. A, a lot of scientists use the word indigo to cover all the other plants that give blues. The only difference is that if you check on a textile colometry, which is a machine that checks the colors, it's the same molecule. So you cannot differentiate woad and indigo unless you date it. Um, the only thing that you can see with the eye is that indigos are a lot more reddish, certain indigos, because you have a substance that's called in French andirubine, and in world, you have a yellow substance that's called flavonoid, which makes world a bit more grayer when you look at the pigments. Um, and the blues are a bit more subtle and more different than indigos. But it's the same technique as for dyeing. A bit more complicated with world, um, but it's the same basic recipe, yes. Is world still used in the Middle East, and can you swallow the oil? Woad is still used in the Middle East for some of the Middle Eastern tar carpets. And actually, they have a technique that they can extract with the same plant, the yellow and the red, on a very pale color because we've done it, but they have done it. Um, you cannot swallow the oil. It's not uh, an oil to be swallowed, I'm afraid. It's only to be applied. <laughs> Are there different shadings of woad obtained by the number of dips? By dips and by the fabric. This is silk. It was a bit of a natural silk, so it has a green tint to it. This is cotton, and this is corduroy. According to the different fibers, you will have a different blue. So when you control or when you dye with several different type of fibers, you, you acquire a wide span of knowledge to say, okay, with this, I will obtain this blue. With that, I will obtain this blue. But it's always a surprise in the long run because you never have a perfect blue. Or No, you have a perfect blue. I, I changed that around. You can never decide what you want. It's a fabric that decides what it wants to take. So you have to be humble. 
Wood's part of a particular family of plants. Have you ever tried obtaining pigments from other members of that family? Let me ask the um, professional there. <laughs> est-ce que tu peux, est-ce qu'on peut isoler dans les autres plantes crucifères d'autres colorants ou est-ce que c'est le seul qui a des uh, pouvoirs tinctoriales? C'est la famille des crucifères, donc le pastel. Est-ce qu'il y a d'autres crucifères qui ont des pouvoirs colorants On pourrait considérer que dans toutes les plantes vertes, il y a un peu de bleu, mais dans des quantités tellement infimes qu'on ne peut pas l'extraire. Yes and no. You have to consider that any type of plant has, a green plant has a color inside of it. Some you cannot extract a pigment and others yes. So it's, I would not say that every cruciferous has a color to it. If you basically go down to the fact, you may have something, but it's not a dye plant. Okay? Broccoli is not a dye plant, and that's a cruciferous plant. You need it. What you can't eat? Are the molecules in woad smaller than the molecules in indigo because the color is so dim? No. No. Um, no. We will... Let's say what will make the difference is that maybe indigo will be a lot more uh, or accept a lot different, more fibers than woad will, in the sense that woad will be finicky and choose what it wants to be, go on to. Um, and that will give you different blues ranging from the different fabrics you put it on. Um, but the penetration will depend on the porosity of your uh, textile or your fiber. But it's the same as with indigos. I haven't done much dyeing. What if I bought a jar of woad? Could I go home and follow the directions? and do it? <laughs> That's what a lot of people ask me when they come and visit the workshop. Uh, yes, if you're ready to have blue all over the place. Yes, if you're ready to take your time to follow a recipe and not get perfect results on the end. No, if you're in a hurry, and no, if you don't have the, the place and the time. But you can, yes. If you keep in mind that it's not going to be easy, it's going to be difficult, and the challenge is that, then yes, you can. Um, it'll take a bit of practice, of course. The best is to take a workshop, and you can learn. <laughs> but you can, yes. If you take your cloth and dip it again and again, will it go darker? Yes, yes. No, 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 no. You can make it darker. Yes, yes. There are certain fabrics or fibers like wool. If you dye it 10,000 times at one moment, it will not go deeper because it took enough of the pigment. That is your knowledge of the porosity of your fiber that will allow you to understand that and to decide just how far you can go into the deep colors because it's just not building up a dark vat that will give you a dark blue. I'll give you an example. We had the chance to dye the top of a wedding dress a silk and cotton embroidery. The customer wanted a very pale vat, and we built up a very pale vat. The silk came out very a beautiful light blue, but the cotton decided wanted to pump out the rest of the vat and came out a dark blue. So, I mean, it's very difficult because you have to have a lot of knowledge to understand all of that and to play around and accept that certain fabrics will soak in to a certain extent. But you can have problems, for example, if you have a shirt that you've worn, which was the case of a, uh, opera singer, an English opera singer that brought us a shirt, or a nice, beautiful uh, embroidery shirt. She washed it 50 times. We dyed it, but it came out with yellow spots underneath the arms because of the body pH that was left in your fabric. Keep in mind that what you wear takes what you uh, soaks in your body. And even if you wash it, it can wear off or can come on to your fiber, and it can take the dye very differently. So there's so many things that are 
difficult with weld because you can have a perfect white shirt, which happened to us in our workshop because we do have the extraordinary times some moments. And the shirt came out with one sleeve, which was lighter, the pocket, which was darker, the underneath, which was a medium blue. The other, the verse was on the other side, and the back was a dark blue. We had five different blues on it. I thought it was fantastic, but the gentleman didn't really like it, of course. <laughs> And it was a bit difficult, and he didn't really want to understand that it's not me or the diver. It's just that the shirt was mounted in China with five different cottons, and there was no way to know that. Because in white, it was just perfectly proper. So you, that's why world will be slightly more difficult to handle, because you have to be, accept these type of situations. But if I put this in, in a darker vat three to four times, it will darken. Yes, it's not a problem. Can wool be used for printing or painting? Yeah, we develop, you cannot work with a dye vat like that, but we've developed products that you are on an internet site that use for uh, <coughs> cotton painting and silk painting. We've developed natural products for people who want to silk paint, for example. Um, but you cannot dip your uh, brush into a dye vat and paint directly because as you take it out, it will oxidize and, and there's no way of using it that way. That's unfortunate. But we've manufactured also all sorts of other products that can be used to simplify uh, textile designing and textile printing, of course. With Napoleon's military uniforms, was it dyed on wool? Yes, they were wool. Because wool takes the dye very, very quickly. They were wool. And they needed the wool when in the Russian campaign, but it was very, I mean, it's very heavy wool, yes. Yes? Actually, wool can remain on for practically a long, long, long time, the color. It's one of the most extraordinary colors because uh, the more you wash something dyed with wool, the more the color circulates in the fabric and the more the color is refreshed. This is contrary to what you're used to in most plant dyes because everyone is, oh, it's fragile, I have to hand wash it. We just stuff it in the machine and wash it. And that's why I like wool because it can stay on certain fabrics for a long time. The majority of the fabrics it stays on for a long, 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 long time. Centuries, you know. That's nice. <laughs> Practically, yes. If you have fabric dating back to the Neolithic period that they found, you know that it's been on there for a long time. So it's really a very resistant and fast and light resistant color. It's one of the most, they used to use wool to fix matter root and to fix even indigo sometimes as it was imported into Europe. So once, uh, most of these 16th century vats mixed a bit of indigo with wool to reinforce and to strengthen the blues to make them stronger thanks to wool. And that was used to color fast, also to strengthen the color, let's put it that way. Yes. So are you saying that wool is more light and color fast than indigo? More resistant, yes. And even though there's certain indigos that can resist, it depends on the dyer's ability. But we have mainly, I mean, I, you can understand why I talk about woad a lot. But what we have worked with has been used and worn, and believe me, it's the fabric that will deteriorate faster than the color. Do you have problems with it rubbing off like indigo? No, we don't. We take it out, it turns blue, and you can put it directly in your washing machine next to any white shirt and will never wash off or fade off. That is great, because I hate hand washing. <laughs> yes? How do you color objects with woad? There's two possibilities. Um, we dye, for example, things like seashells or wooden pearls. We dip it in the vat and we take it out. If it's a small object, you can do it. But now we've developed a paint that is a natural paint that contains lime wash or, or titanium white 
uh, and our pastes and our big gum, which allows us to apply it on outdoor uh, wood as well as indoor wood, on walls and on plaster, on cement or whatever. Um, and that's just by mixing the pigment and grinding it up in a humid phase, grinding it up with water to develop a paste, and then you blend it in with the lime wash and the Arabic gum to formulate the paint. And that we sell already made because a lot of people cannot work with the pigment to make themselves their own proper paint because it's a, it's a difficult pigment. So we have to really reproduce the pots to be ready-to-made pots, for example. And it's beautiful blue you saw on the shutters. It's very nice. It's very different. Woad is something that when you have it in an artificial light, it appears different than if you put it outdoors. And depending on the light of the day, it varies between a gray to a very light blue if it's shiny, shiny or gray or raining. So it's not a tiring blue. It's like most of the ochres you can put on your facades or that you find in Europe. It's a living color that blends in with the nature and in type of architecture, which is nice because you can put it on old buildings or you can use it in modern architecture, which is also interesting as well. We Do you design your own clothing? No, we work uh, with a textile designer and two of them in France. Um, besides those that are on the haute couture, but that's a different uh, register. Um, we have textile designers that we work with. We are very proud to say that we're all French from the crop to the finished product, which is very rare nowadays. You have the quality, you have the fabric, you have the organic uh, part inside of it, and each piece is practically unique. We do not do large clothes collections. That's part of what we do, but we don't do large clothes collections. Each piece is unique, especially those that we brought over here, which also makes it very um, unique and very beautiful. But we work with textile designers and, and young and uh, different sort of textile designers in France, of course. And that's why uh, we humans enjoy rarest things. So we like to have very dark red colors. So thank you very much for your questions. I'd like to ask Henri to take the stage again for a moment. On behalf of uh, the Mewa Textile Symposium, I'd like to present these tokens of our appreciation. Thank you. Thank you.